Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 743 for the 14th of May, 2021. This week, Adobe Photoshop's neural filters have been in place for about six months. More will probably be added at or before this year's Adobe Max. These are tools that can perform effects that are close to magic. In short circuits, as important as diagnostic utilities are for figuring out what's wrong with a computer, sometimes lower tech tools help too. Sight, sound, and smell can all provide early warnings about problems. Continuing that low-tech line of thought, being comfortable when using a computer depends on things we rarely give much thought to. In spare parts, only on the website, when spaces between the keys on a keyboard fill with junk, you can pull out the keys and vacuum the space below. But there's another option you may not have considered. A shortage of computer chips will result in more dirty dogs, fewer new automobiles, and a variety of other unanticipated and seemingly unrelated problems. And 20 years ago, Linux was one of the featured products at the 2001 edition of PC Expo. I was preparing to attend what would be the last of the big shows. It's been about half a year since Adobe added neural filters to Photoshop. The filters were shown at Adobe Max around the end of October last year. Let's take a closer look. Calling these filters magic wouldn't be too far off the mark. It's likely that Adobe will add more neural filters, if not in the mid-year update that'll be coming up soon, than in the new version that'll be revealed at this year's Adobe Max. Max, again this year, will be a fully virtual event with sessions open to everybody for free. When released in 2020, the Neural Filters stack included some intriguing placeholders in the Smart Portrait section, such as the ability to turn a photo into a sketch or a caricature. The Skin Smoothing filter reduces blemishes the way photo retouchers used to do on film negatives. The trick to getting this right is subtlety. Eliminating all blemishes, lines, and wrinkles gives the subject of the photograph a phony, plastic appearance. When done right, the subject looks natural. That's the point of the skin-smoothing filter. The other active neural filters are Smart Portrait, Makeup Transfer, Depth-Aware Haze, Colorize, Super Zoom, and JPEG Artifacts Removal. Possible additions include photo restoration, dust and scratches, noise reduction, face cleanup, photo to sketch, sketch to portrait, pencil artwork, and face to caricature. As with most new tools, these can be used well or poorly. In the interest of making clear the power of the tools, you'll see some extreme settings on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, but then I'll show an example of a more subtle change, one that's done, I think, right. The image I'm using this week is from Australian stock image provider Canva, which also has offices in Manila and Beijing. The Smart Portrait filter is one that interests me a lot because it has so many functions. There are sliders for expressions of happiness, surprise, and anger. There are filters to adjust the subject's age. 
whether the eyes are looking right or left, the thickness of the hair, direction of the head, and direction of the light. The changes can be placed directly on the current layer, which I think is a very bad idea, on a duplicate layer with or without a mask, on a new layer that holds just the changed bits, that's the default by the way, or you can use it as a smart filter. So let's look at some of the extremes. The photo shows a young man smiling. His mouth is closed, you don't see any teeth. Moving the slider to the right increases the smile bit by bit until around position 15, teeth begin to appear. At the setting I chose, 38, the subject has a wide, toothy grin. At the maximum setting of 50, the teeth are the most prominent part of the image. Negative numbers give the subject an increasingly sad look, and at minus 50 indicates an enormous amount of disapproval. Now, I consider 38 to be too extreme. For one thing, the subject will know immediately that the teeth are not his, just something made up by Adobe's artificial intelligence system. Yet the teeth look real enough, and an image like this could be used in a situation that requires a wide grin. But let's say you've taken a picture of your nephew, Joe. He takes a look at the photo and says, hey, I really like that, but I wish I was smiling just a little bit more. Well, you can fix that and give him a slightly larger smile. The happiness slider in my final example here is set to 8. The most obvious change is a slight upturn of the mouth, but Sensei has made several other small modifications. The eyes are slightly more open. The eyebrows have changed a bit. The jawline and cheeks have been modified to subtly support the smile. These are all visual cues that people react to naturally. Each of the changes I tried with this image are retained as separate layers so they can be activated or deactivated at will. Each of the sliders has settings from minus 50 to plus 50. The meaning of the slider is determined by the quality being adjusted. Happiness minus 50 is for maximum unhappiness, plus 50 for maximum happiness. Gaze, head direction, and light direction use minus 50 as left, plus 50 as right. Left and right are based on the viewer's left and right, not the subject's left and right. So check out the TechBiter Worldwide website and you'll see some of the other extremes I created. It is, of course, generally best to avoid the extremes, but I adjusted Joe to make the modifications very obvious. Sensei can adjust the subject's eyes so that he's looking left, or as the photographer would instruct him, to his right, and I find this to be entirely believable, even when nearing the extremes. Joe has a full head of curly hair, and Sensei ran into some trouble thinning his hair. That wasn't a big surprise. I also made him older, and that was partly successful. The lines around the cheeks look reasonable, but Sensei may have been fooled by the hair on his forehead. At the extremes, these two modifications really don't work very well. But what's amazing is that they work at all. Facial expressions are very complex. The American Psychological Association's 2011 article by David Matsumoto and Hai Sung Hwan explains this complexity and discusses research that has been conducted. You'll find a link to that article on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The article notes the presence of micro-expressions, those tiny factors that are important but nearly invisible. Reading facial expressions of emotion 
and especially micro-expressions, can aid in the development of rapport, trust, and collegiality, the document says. They can also be useful in making credibility assessments, evaluating truthfulness, and detecting deception. And better information about emotional states provides the basis for better cooperation, negotiation, or sales. Sensei does a very good job of adjusting these micro-expressions, not just the larger and more obvious aspects of the expression. Well, maybe we can give Joe more hair and make him younger. Well, making him younger worked really well, but giving him more hair didn't. Changes made in the hair are blatantly obvious. Now, that's probably because of the amount of hair he already has and the curly texture of the hair. Turning the head to the left, or Joe's right, is somewhat believable, keeping in mind that I selected extreme settings. The head position is fine, and the ear modification is good, but once again the hair is a problem. With more modest adjustments, the ear is even more believable, but the hair, it's still a problem. Turning Joe's head slightly to the right worked well, with the exception of the hair, again, as expected. But at the extreme, Sensei had to create the subject's right ear. That worked reasonably well. But there's still something just a bit wrong with the facial geometry and, of course, the hair. As with all other layers in Photoshop, the layers created by neural filters can be adjusted. Adding some transparency in the hair, or selectively masking parts of the layer, could make the hair more believable, even at the extremes. There is, of course, the opportunity for misuse. In part, this is because people are generally not taught to think critically, and even poorly made photo manipulations fool them so long as the image agrees with their perception. The camera never lies. That has never been true. By carefully choosing a lens at an angle, the photographer can create a point of view that has little relationship to reality. Some Civil War photos are composites. During the Soviet era, people who fell out of favor with Stalin were removed from photographs. Many of the manipulations were shoddy and obvious, but some were well done. At that time, photo editing was a time-consuming manual process. Today, some changes can be made in seconds, and even complex modifications can be accomplished quickly. There's no going back, and we shouldn't want to, because the technology has so many good uses. But we do need to be more cautious about believing something simply because a photo or a video exists. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, there are lots of utilities that can diagnose problems with computers, but the first line of defense might be lower tech involving your senses, sight, sound, and smell primarily. You might sense a problem early enough to fix it by simply paying attention to the computer. The smell of burning electronics, for example, well, that's a sure sign that something is wrong, 
but there are other more subtle indications. If a computer that has a mechanical hard drive starts making a clicking or grinding sound, there could be a problem with the disk. But this could also indicate a problem with the computer's fan. A fan that's going bad may seem to be a less serious problem, but a failed fan can allow temperatures in the case to rise so much that other components will fail. So it's good to figure out where the problem is and fix it before it gets worse. Listen for changed sounds. If you sit in front of a computer for several hours a day every day, you know what it sounds like. Any change will be indicative of something. Maybe not something bad, but something will be responsible for that new or different sound. This is a good time to break out some of those diagnostic tools I've mentioned before to check the disk status, memory health, temperatures, and other conditions inside the box. Noises, in fact, are one of the best indicators that something bad is likely to happen. You should already be backing up at least all of the data on the computer to an off-site location. If not, now would be a really good time to start doing that. And if the computer suddenly starts sounding different, make sure that all recent new and changed files have been backed up before you start investigating what the problem might actually be. General observations like this are helpful. Let's say the computer suddenly becomes sluggish. Well, it could be a virus. It could be a scammer who's planted malware on your computer to send spam or to mine cryptocurrencies. But it could also mean that an application that's running is buggy and consuming a lot of system resources. Or it could even mean that an operating system update is being prepared. This is when those utilities and diagnostic applications can help. Check the task manager, see if there's some application hogging the CPU, memory, disk, or network. Try rebooting the computer. If the problem occurs again, have whatever protective application your computer uses run a scan. A computer that's five years old or more might have insufficient hardware for current applications, a problem that might be resolved by exchanging a mechanical hard drive with a solid-state drive or by adding memory. When error messages pop up, read them carefully. Write down the exact text or grab a screenshot. Make a note so that you'll remember exactly what the computer was doing when the error occurred. An error message that occurs only once usually isn't a sign of a big problem, but if you see the same error repeatedly, it's time to investigate. Problems can range from software errors to faulty device drivers and even failing hardware. The error message often helps pinpoint the cause. Perform an internet search for the exact error message. Include the text, any ID numbers that the error message showed, and the name of the operating system. If you're running a program at the time, make a note of it too. Take care with search results though. Not everyone who provides guidance on the internet is a genius, and some crooks use error messages to capture unsuspecting computer users. Before performing any actions that you find recommended online, review responses from those who have had the same problem. In many cases, the best result of an internet search for an error message is a clue about the source of the problem. When you have that, visit the operating system or computer manufacturer's support website. When you install a new application, it may add an icon to the desktop, but watch for new icons on the desktop or in the start menu. If you haven't added any new applications, look for the name of the application using a search engine. 
Malware can make changes to the computer, so scanning the computer, in addition to checking out the application itself, might help you decide whether an application should be removed. Malware is usually installed in a way that makes it difficult to remove, so search for how to remove the application. As with other searches, be especially cautious with this kind of search. The result of a search asking how to remove malware can actually lead to more malware that makes a bad situation worse. Read carefully to be sure that you are dealing with a reputable operator. Watch the computer's browser carefully, too. If the home page has been changed, a browser helper object might have been installed. These BHOs can redirect searches, serve ads, and perform other mischief. Some problems are easily solved, others more difficult. When you encounter a problem that you can't fix, your notes and your screenshots will be a great help to a technician. Most of the time I write about computers, applications, screens, keyboards, mice, things like that. But there is one non-electronic component that is important to your comfort and your safety. Probably the most critical component is the screen because users spend virtually all of their time looking at the screen when they're using a computer. But screens are electronic and that's not where I'm going to go with this. Look down. Look past the keyboard. You're sitting on a chair, and the chair is increasingly important if you spend a lot of time in front of the computer. Reasonably good ergonomic chairs are less expensive than they used to be, but you can still spend $1,000 or more if you want to. Finding a chair that feels right may take some time, but it's time well spent. Chairs, I think, are even more frustrating than printers. But that's not where I'm going either. Look further down toward the floor. The chair has wheels. The wheels are probably the cheap kind that don't swivel or roll particularly well. Late last year, I made what may have been my best purchase of 2020, rollerblade wheels for my office chair. The cheap wheels that come with many chairs don't swivel very well, so I decided to get a set of these rollerblade wheels for 32 bucks. The wheels are larger, so I had to slightly adjust the chair height. Ball bearings allow the wheels to turn freely, and they roll wonderfully well. At least they did until early May when I thought one of the wheels broke. But it was the piece that holds the wheel that had broken free from the chair base. The tubular assembly is connected to the chair base with two small spot welds. One of the welds broke, and the next time I tried to reposition the chair, the second weld broke, and the wheel assembly fell off. So I'm keeping the wheels, but I had to order a new chair, and it took five days for the chair to arrive. Following a significant tipping incident when I forgot that one of the five feet on the chair was missing, I established a temporary workaround with a 1960s dictionary and an out-of-date website development book. Because it was so difficult to move the chair and reposition the support, I didn't move it much. And that led to a reminder about how painful non-ergonomic setups can be. So, if you have back pain, sore wrists, or other symptoms after using a computer, maybe your body is trying to tell you something. And maybe you should take a closer look at the desk, the chair, the keyboard, and all of the other items that seem unimportant. <laughs> 
You won't need a 1960s dictionary or an outdated website development book to get the most out of spare parts. Just visit the TechBiter Worldwide website and scroll down. This week, you'll find these articles. When spaces between the keys on a keyboard fill with junk, you can pull out the keys and vacuum the space below, but there's another option you might not have considered. A shortage of computer chips will result in more dirty dogs, fewer new automobiles, and a variety of other unanticipated and seemingly unrelated problems. And 20 years ago, Linux was going to be one of the featured products at the 2001 edition of PC Expo. I was preparing to attend what would be the last of the big shows. We just didn't know it then. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.